Well, we want to get started tonight looking at uh, the material that we went over during week three. And as I told you, you have an extra week uh, to tackle the next uh, section. Uh, so you have two weeks to cover that next little bit. Then we'll come back and discuss that. But let's take a moment and turn back to the table of contents and refresh your memory. Because I know I have to sit down uh, on a Wednesday and look back and prepare for our time together, not only to lead it, but also to refresh my memory and maybe go back and mark some things and look at some things too. Because, you know, you may have done this last week, and so you did something on Thursday or Friday or Saturday, and now here we are on Wednesday again. And uh, if your memory is like mine, sometimes you, you struggle. But let's look over the headings again to remind you what you studied and what we want to discuss tonight. Uh, looking there at week three, Grasping Redemption's Far Reach. Why is earth's redemption essential to God's plan? Why is the resurrection so important? What will it mean for the curse to be lifted? What does the restored earth mean? And what will the new earth, or, or excuse me, will the new earth feel like home? And so that's what we want to talk about tonight. And we're going to do again what we've done the last several uh, times. We're going to kind of go day by day. And we'll try to get through all the days. I know we kind of ran out of time there uh, at the last uh, session, but we'll try to do a better job. But if we do get into something, we get deep into it, that's okay too, because you have the material and you're studying through uh, as well. But let's pick up our, our study there at the beginning, page 53, 54 in that area, Grasping Redemption's Far Reach. And the question I want to start with, um, you'll kind of find the answer in that area, but it's this. When did God instate his earthly renewal plan? In other words, when did God uh, begin this plan, come up with this plan? When did he start this whole plan about renewing the earth and a new heaven and a new earth? When does all that begin? Where do we see that uh, beginning in Scripture? In the beginning. Okay, where at in Genesis particularly? In fact, I just joked about it a moment ago, if you're having a hard time remembering once there was sand. Okay. I just said serpent seduction didn't surprise. I said about the snake. <laughs> if Jesus was around when creation began, then he must have had a plan for Jesus from the beginning. Alright, well let's let's pick it up from there. Let's back up a second. Alright, Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen. Do you know what it says? Judy, you should get this one with all your events today. <laughs> Talking about the serpent. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, this is the Lord. And in this passage, he's talking about the curse and what's going to happen because they've sinned. Um, he calls out to Adam, so forth. Uh, and Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the snake, Right. Uh, and in verse 14, the Lord curses uh, the serpent because you have done this. You're cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. So the interesting thing is perhaps back then the, the snakes were like this. Of course, I think we still see a picture of that with like King Cobras, right? I think King Cobra is actually the snake. I have no proof of that. It's just my own mind. I just see that thing. They're talking to Eve. But you don't know what a King Cobra is, right? You kind of see that. But imagine sna imagine snakes walking around. Wouldn't that be exciting? But, you know, if that's the way it was. <laughs> they'd be knocking on the door instead of falling on your head. But verse 15, and that's all conjecture, and we just wonder about it. But verse 15 is what we have the gospel in Genesis in a form. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and I will put enmity, now he's speaking near to this serpent. Of course, was it just a snake that was involved in all this? No, Satan utilized the serpent, right? He's that old snake, the dragon, the devil. Verse 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And that's an interesting verse because it talks about your seed, the seed of the serpent, and her seed. Now, what's unusual about those last two words? Yeah, exactly. We don't have to talk about her seed. That's a picture of the virgin birth. That's a picture of the virgin birth. I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed. Now watch the rest of it. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
And so we find there what happens is we see a picture of the cross, a picture of Calvary, a picture of the gospel. And so uh, Christ conquered and was victorious over Satan at the cross. And so we have the gospel. But to answer your question, Daryl, you brought up, we ask the question that when did God instate this plan? The Bible says elsewhere, though, that Jesus Christ is the lamb. Do you remember what else it says? Slain before the foundation of the world. In other words, we have to remember it didn't just start in Genesis chapter 3. God knew what was going to happen before He ever created the earth and all the creatures in the earth and Adam and Eve. He knew that we were going to rebel because God knows all things. And all things are open to Him. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He sees all. He knows all. So He knew when He created Adam and Eve, placed him in the garden, said, listen, enjoy all this, but don't eat of this tree. He knew it was going to happen. So God had a plan in place. Now think about that. The eternal counsels of God in perfect harmony and unity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, decides to make us anyway. Knowing all the while that because of our choices, He was in His grace and love going to send Jesus to die in our place. Beloved, if you don't think God is a God of love and grace and mercy, just marinate on that a little bit. But think about He knew and still created us. And so God initiated this renewal, this restoration, this plan, even before creation, right? Even way before then, before the foundation of the world. But we see it first in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And then we trace God's hand and God's working throughout the Scripture where we find, of course, the virgin birth, the incarnation, God who is um, God becomes flesh without ceasing to be God, and so Jesus is born to the Virgin. He's perfect God, perfect man, lives a perfect, sinless life, then lays down his life upon the cross, sheds his precious blood. He's buried. He rises again. He ascends back to the Father. We're here now in the church age. We're looking for the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see the tribulation time after that. Then the second coming of Christ. Some other things will happen. Then we'll end the the, um, eternity. After the millennial kingdom and the judgment, we'll enter the eternity. And what we have before us, we've been studying here, is the new heaven and the new earth. But the point is this. You looked at some words that I wanted to show you here. You looked at some words on 55. You took a quiz again. And you had to match up resurrection, renewal, reconciliation, and redemption. Now think about these words for a moment. I'm going to say some more words. Reconcile, redeem, restore, recover, return, renew, regenerate, or regenerate, resurrect, reclaim. What do those words teach us about God? What do they show us about God? Let me read them again. Reconcile, redeem, restore, recover, return, renew, regenerate, resurrect, reclaim. Oh, it all comes back to the original purpose. Okay, the original purpose. And what does that teach us about God? He's able to make it all over. He's able to do that. He's capable, willing, longing to do that. What else? Must be patient. Must be long-suffering and patient. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't give up on us. He forgives us. He's a God of grace, a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of compassion. All of that is really caught up in all this, isn't it? When you look at what he's doing, because he didn't have to make us in the first place. Aren't you glad you're not God? I know I'm glad I'm not God. Because I just you look at the patience of God. And you look at how long-suffering he is. And he's glad he's not us. Yes, absolutely. And But we have a hard time getting our arms around that because we, don't, we aren't always like that, are we? Because we're marred by sin. And we do want to give up on people, don't we? We want to give up on situations and give up and, and, and grow hopeless. And we are limited in all that we can do. I mean, we can cry out to God. We can pray to God and trust God. But we are limited. I know there are things you would love to do tonight for your family, friends, people in the world. But we are limited. We're finite. But God is not. He's capable and He's able and He's willing. Well, look at there. It says on page 54, what do you think, here's a question you answer, what do you think it means that the earth will be filled with God's glory? And that's based on Psalm 72, 19, and also Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. What do you think it means that the earth will be filled with God's glory? We see His glory every day in His creation. Okay. So we see part of His glory today. 
We do, right? The hand is, is creation shows the handiwork. But we only see a part, right? Because we're under the curse. What does it mean that the, if it's restored, what would it mean if the earth was filled with the glory of God? Awesome, everything made right. No darkness, no sin. It'd be Eden, wouldn't it? It would be perfection. And we have a hard time getting our, our, our arms wrapped around that. You look at the top of page 55, it says what? God has never given up on his original creation. He's never given up on his original creation. There's those words I was reading to you a moment ago. And so I love what it said later on in there. Uh, under the uh, quiz, uh, the paragraph right before the what part of life are you excited about? It says God is the ultimate salvage artist. God is the ultimate salvage artist. Y'all know what a salvage artist is, right? They take junk and make something... Now, sometimes the salvage artists, in, in my opinion, they take junk and make other junk. <clears throat> but anyway, sometimes very talented salvage artists can take what we might consider junk and castaways and things that are worthless, and they make beautiful, valuable pieces of art. That's the kind of salvage artist God is, isn't it? He takes that which others would cast away, and he makes something beautiful out of it. The ultimate recycler. Ultimate recycler, Absolutely. What part of your life are you most excited about God salvaging and restoring? You get some options there. Physical health, moral purity, conscience, his purpose, other. Anybody want to share? This is totally optional. Anybody want to share? I all parts. All of it? Yeah? A lot of you put on the thing? Yeah? It, it's hard to... I have a hard time imagining it, don't you? Because we're so bound in, in a sinful world. And we still struggle with our sin to realize that perfection is coming. That's why I took purpose. His purpose because it is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> so hard to understand or yeah. get your hands around it. Yeah. What it's really like. Absolutely. 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 It says on page 56, the new earth is the old earth restored. The new earth is the old earth restored. <coughs> Revelation 21.1 says the old earth will pass away. But when people pass away, they do not cease to exist. As we will be raised to new life, so the earth will be raised to a new earth. Um, it says on page 57, the question, why, why does God's glory demand that he succeed in making over the earth and having this new earth? Why is God's glory at stake? Show that he did not fail in his original creation. Okay, show that he did not fail. Yeah. And he declared that his creation was good. Yes. And he needs to make it good again. Yes. You're right. And if he doesn't do that, then he doesn't keep his word, does he? Look right there in the margin. Who'll read Matthew nineteen twenty eight? This is Jesus speaking here. Who'll read that for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So if Jesus said that, and he did, and he doesn't fulfill that, then what does that mean? Then he's not who he said he is, right? So it's essential based upon that verse and other scriptures, that God's glory is at stake in this thing, right? <coughs> he's going to keep his word. He's going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. And so we find this all. We're going to keep building upon the, the new earth. But we move to, to day two where you talked about the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection and the fact that resurrection is physical. And did you find it interesting that Americans, of the Americans who believe in a resurrection of the dead, Two-thirds believe they will not have bodies after the resurrection. That's on average. So if we were to say that in this room tonight, if we were average, that means that two out of three of us, right, we don't think we're going to have a body after the resurrection. So I don't know what we'll have if we don't have a body, right, but people don't, don't know and they don't believe that you will. What does the Bible teach? Will you have a body? Yeah. Absolutely, you'll have a body. What does the bodily resurrection demand? Why does the bodily resurrection demand physical life on the new earth? That's the question on page 58 you answered. 
Why does the bodily resurrection demand physical life on the new earth? Yeah. Function. A physical body requires what? A physical place to be. And Jesus shows us that in his new body, he came and he interacted and he worked and he did these things on the earth in his new body. R.A. Torrey on the top of page 59 writes, We will not be disembodied spirits in the world to come, but redeemed spirits and redeemed bodies in a redeemed universe. If we don't get it right on the resurrection of the body, we'll get nothing else right. It's interesting that Job talks about um, this because you know, Job is possibly the oldest book in the Bible. We, know we studied through the book of Job. Uh, some of you are with me on that Wednesday night study went through Job. But there in Job 19.26, in your margin on page 59, it says, Even after my skin has been destroyed, so even after the, the, the physical body has rotted away, yet I will see God, what's the next three words? In my flesh. So even Job way back understood that there is a resurrection that is coming, and he's going to get a new body. And we know that God has not given up on his original plan. It says in the middle of page 59, God designed our bodies to be an integral part of our total beings. Our physical bodies are an essential aspect of who we are, not just shells for our spirits to inhabit. Death is an abnormal condition because it tears apart what God created and joined together. And so we do not believe that the Bible teaches that we're going to be disembodied spirits. That we're just going to be floating around. We don't believe in Platonism. I know you all love that uh, term and that uh, idea now. Um, but on page 60, you're asked a question. I'll get your input on this. What most excites you about being restored to God's original design? What most excites you about being restored to God's original design? Not like him. <coughs> more like him. Not having the sin nature. Not, not having sin nature. Okay. I put no sin mm-hmm. on mine. What else? <coughs> Nobody was excited about your new body. <laughs> no pain. Perfection. Well, look across the page. It says in this, let's see, you have one sentence, then the second full paragraph under the nature of our new bodies. Our resurrected bodies, now watch this, are the same bodies, but raised to greater perfection than we've ever known. Because we each have a physical body, we already have the single best reference point for envisioning a new body. It's like the new upgrade I bought of my word processing software. When I heard an upgrade was available, I didn't say I have no idea what it would be like. I knew that for the most part it would be like the old program. Sure, it had some new features I didn't expect, and I'm glad for them, but I certainly recognize it as the same program I've used for a decade. Well, that analogy breaks down if you ever use software. Uh, but I know what he's trying to say. Sometimes the upgrade's not better, and you want to go back to the old. In fact, I'm at a point now with my iPhone that it's, it's, it's older. I don't even update anymore the, the, the apps because I'm afraid they'll stop working. Uh, but the whole idea here is, is our body we have now but remade, restored, back to the original creation. Because that's what it means then. So when the trump of God shall sound, talking about the rapture now, the trump of God shall sound, what does this Bible say happens first? The dead in Christ shall rise. So I would love to be standing over in the cemetery on the rapture day. I just think it would be fun. I don't know how fast it will happen, but to see those graves explode, boom, because I know I'm going soon anyway, you know. But just to see that, and those bodies will be raised, and it doesn't matter if they if, um, if they perished in a lake, a pond, doesn't matter if they were burned, it doesn't matter if they're buried. God can call all things back together, restore, renew. But it's back to the original, the original uh, perfection uh, of of the humanity, of what God created. You know, a lot of people like to take old things and restore them. Some people take old cars. Or old tractors. I had a fellow in the church I pastored before. He restored old tractors. Um, my father restored antique. Of course, he died when I was very young, but he was into restoring old vehicles. But some people like to restore it back to the factory you know, condition. I mean, everything's original. 
everything's exactly as it was when it rolled off the assembly line, if you can. Well, imagine that in a perfect state, that God is going to resurrect us. And so we're going to be the same people in the sense of the bodies, but new bodies. It says in the next paragraph, likewise, when we receive our resurrected bodies, we'll no doubt have some welcome surprises. Maybe we'll even have some new features, though no glitches or programming errors, but we'll certainly recognize our new bodies as being ours. God has given us working models to guide our imagination about what our new bodies will be like on the new earth. You think you'll get any extra upgrades when you get your new body? It'll be perfect. And, and, and so... Uh, whatever perfect means for each one of us individually, that's what we'll be. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll know that this is our body, but it's our new body. And what age will we be? <laughs> the perfect age. I listened to, uh, uh, on TV, and um, the preacher said that he thought that everybody would be Christ 33 years old and I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, I know the children yeah, I know the children would they stay? I can't imagine that they would stay as little fetuses. They'd have to grow because they're gonna be working in heaven. I have a feeling they will not be just uh, a fetus, they'll be a person, but I don't know how old we'll be. I know. We'll be perfect age. Whatever that is. 29 and holding. <laughs> right? Is that the perfect age? I don't know. What is the perfect age? What was your favorite age? 18. 18. But if, if the time will be no more, then how can you even put a yearly age on it? Every age has a should I break out in, uh, was it Sinatra when I was 17? Anyway, well, was it a very good year? Well, I want to ask a question that occurred to me while I was studying this about Jesus' body. When he appeared to the disciples in the upper room with the locked door, did he appear like on Star Trek when they reassembled <laughs> in another place? My understanding of this is he, it, yeah, he's not bound by walls or doors or whatever. He has the ability to come through or whatever. So, And I imagine we'll have the same ability. We will not be bound. So our physical bodies won't be the same. No. They'll just look the same, maybe. Yeah. But they'll have new features. Maybe that's one of the new features we get. That's an upgrade. That's an upgrade right there. Have you, have you ever gotten the question as a minister of uh, what about if you've been created, uh, cremated? Yeah. Is that a problem? Well, we know it's not a problem, number one. Um, if someone particularly asks me about cremation, I mean, I will talk to them about it. Uh, it's not my personal preference because I see um, Scripture always talks about burial. Uh, even God buried Moses and so forth. Jesus Christ was buried. But, you know, you also have people that burn up in house fires, burn up in car fires, uh, people that uh, drown and disintegrate in the ocean. Uh, so as far as that, if God can take, you know, nothing and create everything we see, it's not hard for him to call back our DNA and, and all of our body and, and uh, to bring it back. But, yeah, that is a question people have and, and wonder about. Um, and people wrestle with that. Rots in the grave. It's true. The spirit that he's going to clothe with the new body. So, and he's going to resurrect our physical bodies and remake them, and you know it's going to be restored. And then we got that debate the other week about will we have a temporary body? Some of us think we will have a temporary body in heaven. Some of us think we will not have a temporary body. It doesn't really matter. We know that God will take care of all that. But if we have a temporary body, we're not going to be, you know, that's not going to be it. We're not going to be satisfied with it. We're looking forward to our resurrection bodies. And we're going to be coming back, and we're going to, you know, come back and get our new bodies. That would be pretty awesome. It got in here about the idea about the first Adam and the, um, uh, the first Adam, our, our first um, representative, and the, the new Adam, our second representative. That is the difference between Adam and Christ. Um, you know, Adam was our representative, and he failed. You know, he sinned. 
uh, plunged humanity into sin. Christ is the second, the greater uh, representative, and he succeeded in every area. Uh, he was tempted in all points um, like us, yet without sin. They ask you on page 62, which was the difference between Adam and Christ? So was it one was a physical being and the other wasn't? Or was it Adam was under sin and the curse and Christ was not? So number two? Well, that's, that's correct. Jesus was and is a human being in every respect like us, Hebrews 2.17, except with no sin, as I just said. Though Jesus is in his resurrected body, uh, he proclaimed in Luke 24.39, I am not a ghost. Countless Christians think they will be ghosts in the eternal heaven. They think they'll be disembodied spirits or wraiths. The magnificent cosmos-shaking victory of Christ's resurrection, by definition, a physical triumph over physical death in a physical world, escapes them. If Jesus had been a ghost, if we would be ghosts, redemption wouldn't have been accomplished. You ever think about that? I mean, part of the redemption is the redemption of our body and the resurrection of our body. Um, it asks you to go back in John 21 and write out some of the things that Jesus did in his resurrected body. So he's already died, he's been buried, he's come back to life. And then John 21 is the passage of uh, memory of the great now, I went back and looked too, but um, what's going on in John 21? You have the disciples are out doing what? They've been fishing, right? And it was a terrible night to be a fisherman, right? They caught how much? It was a bad night. On the seashore, Jesus calls out, right? Long story short, what happens ultimately? Cast on the other side. They caught lots of fish. How many fish? They didn't said, didn't it? Wasn't it 153 fish? Is that the same passage as 153? But anyway... What do you find Jesus doing in that passage? In his rest, 153. Uh, that's how it will be, 153. No, I'm kidding. Uh, what do we find Jesus did in his resurrected body in that passage? We assume he ate breakfast, right? Because he fed them breakfast. What else? He spoke. Okay, they saw him. Showed his scars. Okay. I'm assuming he cooked breakfast, right? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? So he was not a ghost. When's the last time that you, your ghost cooked you some breakfast and gave you fishing tips, right? They broke the bread and then he disappeared, right? And that what it says, or, or he dipped. I can't remember if he dipped. Yeah. Yeah, they sat down and he was gone. So we understand that it's a literal, physical resurrection body that Jesus has. And so we understand he has his, and it's, it's, it's a showing us what our body will be like. Now, obviously, we're not Jesus. And I want to point out something else. A lot of people are really confused on this, and they will study it probably at a different time. But we do not become angels. A lot of people think that when we die, we become angels. We do not become angels. Little babies do not become angels. Uh, we're hum humans. And so if we go to, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we go to heaven, uh, we're awaiting the resurrection of our body, and we're going to be redeemed saints uh, for all eternity. So just keep that in mind if you may have struggles with that. And the difficulty is, is it's hard to find the right timing to talk to people about that because I see people that you know, think about their loved ones are angels. And I want to be sensitive to people because it always comes up right after their loved one dies. But, you know, when you're talking to people, we don't want to do a disservice. And so at the right time comes, an opportunity comes, you want to talk to somebody about that or they're talking about that. You want to very gingerly enter in that discussion and say, look, it, it's better than that. You know, the angels are not redeemed beings. The angels that fell will spend eternity in the lake of fire. Some are already in bondage, the scripture talks about. Uh, they followed in, in, in rebellion of Satan. We are the ones that Jesus Christ died for and shed his precious blood for. And he arose for us. And he's going to make us perfect. And we're going to be with him. But that's a different study for a different night. But I had to get on that soapbox for just a second. And I'll get off of it. Any thoughts from day one or two so far? Read that last sentence on page 62. The last sentence on 62. Both present heaven and the new earth 
work, we will experience continuity between our current lives and our resurrected lives with the same memories and relational history. That's the idea about uh, uh, the continuity, redemption continuity. Um, what I think the, the author's getting at is the fact that we don't um, become totally different people. Now, we're made over in Christ and we're transformed by Christ. But he gave the illustration that you know when he got saved and he came down, although his mother could see differences in him, he was still Randy. And he still had a lot of the same characteristics and attributes and personalities and so forth. When we come to Christ, we're made new in Christ, but many of the things about us remain the same. And I think what he's getting at in that is we're going to have memories and relational histories. Now, the point that you might be bringing up is will we have those sad things and will we have those things that bring sorrow eventually I think that we will not have those uh, because it says he'll wipe all tears from our eyes of course we brought up that's probably maybe not in the right now that's going to be a little bit later where he'll wipe away all tears from our eyes I think there'll be tears at the judgment seat of Christ you know the judgment seat of Christ is where all of us who are believers go and it doesn't involve our salvation our salvation is settled the moment that we trust the Lord Jesus Christ but it puts forth those two types of building materials. Do you remember? There was wood, hay, and stubble, and there's gold, silver, and precious stones. And the idea is that we're in our lives, we're doing things that uh, hopefully eternal value will be rewarded for those things. Those are the wood, uh, those are the gold, and the silver, and the precious stones. And then there are things that we do, or things we do with the wrong motive, or whatever, that are wood, hay, and stubble, and they'll be put to the testing fire. And of course, if you put those two sets of elements to fire, One's going to remain, one's going to burn up. And the Bible talks about the fact that at the judgment seat of Christ, that we will suffer, some will suffer loss. In other words, there's, I believe there's going to be momentary at least sorrow and regret and, and, and sadness that we did not do more for the Lord Jesus Christ. Or we did not uh, earn more rewards to cast at his feet. Now, he's going to wipe all tears from our eyes. But it says in there, they shall be saved, but such as by fire. And the idea of the picture, I've always understood it as I've studied it through the years. And that's a passage that's been of great interest. I actually wrote a paper on the, the Jesuit seat of Christ when I was doing my graduate work. It's the idea, if you will, almost of a man escaping from his house that's on fire and he escapes with his life, but everything else burns up. And it's the idea that we can in our Christian lives live in such a way where we go to heaven because we trust in Christ. That's not based upon us. But we get to heaven and we have no rewards because we've not been as faithful as we should. Or we've not done what God's told us to do. And so we're there at the judgment seat of Christ and we're, we're waiting to be uh, rewarded and yet we may not get rewards. And what a sad commentary this. So our desire is to be um, faithful, to hear well done, thou good and faithful servant, to get rewards not so we can pile them on our head and prance around heaven saying, look at me, look at me, ooh. What do, what do you think we'll do with those rewards? We'll cast them at his feet. For thou alone art worthy of wisdom and glory and power and all those things. And we want to honor God with that. So as far as our memories, I, I, I've said before, I don't think we're going to be more dumb in heaven than we are now. I think we're going to remember. Um, he brings out things that I don't know about. You know, as you keep reading, I know, Daryl, you said you've gone through the book. You've gone. He brings up something I'm not sure about. Some things we know we can't point in our scripture. But, um, you know, is he going to let us keep some of those sweet memories? Is he going to let us keep some of these things? Possibly. It says relational histories and, you know, we'll be related. But somebody asked Jesus, and I can't remember the scripture, um, about whose wife? Whose wife mm -hmm. would the woman mm -hmm. be if she had married mm -hmm. several times? Mm -hmm. And he said there would be no marrying. Be like the angels. There won't be, because uh, we'll be married to Christ in a sense. We're part of the body of Christ, uh, if you will. Um, and you're right. I think we get into that later on in the book. Uh, but yeah, we won't have those. Um, the relationships, I think we may know. I, mean, I think we're going to know that that person was our spouse or know that that, that was my, our mama or our daddy. I don't think we're going to be more dumb in heaven, you know. But then the question comes, what about the loved ones that don't go to heaven? What about them? Well, is God going to remove that from our minds? 
He's going to somehow remove all sorrow and sadness eventually. Uh, maybe we'll just forget because we'll be so enraptured by him and the glory and what's going on and each other that we won't give thought to that. Because, you know, it breaks our hearts now to think about that our loved one would not be in heaven. And how can heaven be heaven if our loved one's not there? Right? So ever how God's going to do that, he will ensure in his providence and his wisdom that eventually the sorrow will be removed. Then it says you'll suffer loss, and I think you'll suffer regret and maybe shame, but it'll be temporary. I mean, it'll, it, he's going to wipe all tears from your eyes. It'll all be resolved because that's nothing to do with your salvation. That's all about rewards. Because you have two main judgments. You have you have two main judgments, and keep these in mind. We're getting ready to study one of them coming up in. Uh, a little bit later in Revelation, but you have the judgment seat of Christ is only for Christians, only for believers. Uh, that's for the idea of rewards. The great white throne judgment, which we'll study later in Revelation, that's for the lost. And all the lost will come and be called up. And it talks about the, the, the sea. You know, we talked about bodies. The sea will give up their dead. The grave will give up their dead. Uh, hell, and they'll stand and they'll be judged according to their works. I believe um, for degrees of punishment. I believe that there are degrees of punishment uh, within hell itself. But again, that's we're veering off <laughs> where we are here now. Does that help, Miss Betty? I, I, I don't know how else to understand it myself. What would it Don't you think uh, a lot of people don't have rewards that we didn't re- realize? They oh, didn't yes. Realize. oh, yes. Oh, yes. I was talking to a preacher one time. Everybody knows the Lord. Caroline Grant. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the people on the cross. And he said he didn't have any rewards. The way I see it, that man had a heap of rewards. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, his testimony, mm-hmm. a lot of people to read, see, and mm-hmm. open up, they can be mm-hmm. He didn't have the opportunity of living for Christ mm-hmm. here, but we, you know, we hope that, yes, he will. And, and, you know, I think we'll be surprised, Mr. William, because I think in our minds we think, well, you know, will Billy Graham will have the most rewards? And maybe D.L. Moody and uh, all those, Billy Sunday and all those, but not necessarily. It might be some little old lady we've never heard of that prayed for all those people uh, that we've never even met, known, and she may... So I'm saying, I think we'll be surprised because God does not judge things the way we judge them. His ways are so much higher than our ways. And so he will judge in perfection too. I mean, he knows everything. And so what I understand, Billy Graham's mama will have just as many rewards as Billy Graham. Maybe more. You know what I mean? Um... If she prayed. My understanding, there'll be all different kinds of jobs, and some very high-level jobs, and some maybe not so high-level jobs. I wonder, will there be any room for envy? No. Because <coughs> there's no sin. That's a sin. Um, well, in other words, we'll be satisfied with what we get. <coughs> what, I guess. what we well. <laughs> I mean, you, like you have heaven's garbage man. There won't be any garbage in heaven, will there? But you're right. There, there. I believe there will be degrees because you know you've been faithful over little. I'll make you faithful over much. And I think part of that reward is our faithfulness to Christ. And then on the other hand, if everyone casts their crowns and rewards there, then we're all starting out on an equal basis. Mm-hmm. The, the good news is God's going to make sure it's all right. And it'll be done perfect. And I think we'll be satisfied with whatever he assigns us to do because there'll be no envy, no sin, no frustration, uh, no thorns, no thistles. And so if we're... I don't know if there is a heaven's garbage, man. I'm not sure we'll have garbage. We'll have garbage, we'll have garbage in heaven, will we? Where will the banana peels go? Anyway, um, recycling. There you go. If you're heaven's composter, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be, uh, it'll be perfection. Well, let's get jump into three because I wanted to get through all the days. What will it mean for the curse to be lifted? What will it mean for the curse to be lifted? You ask a question. Now, you all know we're living under a curse. Everybody agree with that? <laughs> we got that down? The earth is cursed. There's sin. Uh, there's snakes falling on our heads. There is wasps stinging us. Uh, I mean, you name it. All, we're under the curse. The earth groans under the curse. 
How does, the question in the middle of page 64, how does the curse affect your life in some of the following areas? Your life purpose, relationships, your work, your health, your inner life, faults, feelings. Anybody want to share? You don't have to get specific, but just general. How does the curse impact you today? In every way. In every way? I put three F's in mine. Straight F's. Friction, frustration, and failure. Because of the curse, there's friction in life. There's frustration in life. There's failure. Anybody else? Of course, that's a preacher, right? Three F's. <laughs> Some days I feel guilty about having a beautiful day because you know it can't last. Okay. You know there's something else coming out, coming along eventually. Okay. So we battle, we battle maybe. It's just frustration. Yeah, yeah. frustration, pessimism, uh, negativity. Attitude. Yeah, attitude. <laughs> Keep choosing a good attitude. You know, attitude's a choice. We have to choose a good one every day. Sometimes uh, I, I just feel guilty some days that, you know, that I feel like I've been blessed and some of the people have not been blessed. Okay, yeah, we struggle with inequality and, and why are we blessed and somebody else is not blessed. And sometimes if we're honest, we go the other way. Well, why are they blessed and I'm not blessed? And why are they having those problems and I'm not? And why am I having these problems? We, we struggle with that. We struggle with envy, as you just mentioned. We won't struggle with it then. How do you see the removal of the curse changing your life? That was the next question. We'll be more like Jesus. More like Jesus. Yeah. Anything else? I can't imagine peace and harmony in everything. Peace and harmony in everything. Nobody calling you and fussing you out for your credit department. Yeah. That wasn't me, by the way, if you were wondering. Yeah. And I think about all the choices that I've made. That a lot of times we're bad because of sin. Mm-hmm. And there won't be those bad choices. Yeah. We battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, sometimes the flesh gets us, sometimes it's the world system, sometimes it's the enemy. I put no more struggle. Because isn't life, it's a, it's a struggle at times, isn't it? That we shouldn't struggle on our own because we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God, we have prayer and all these blessings, we have each other. But there's a struggle attached to life, isn't there? Does that mean all our choices will be good choices? Yes. In other words, it'll be a choice between something good and something good. That good and that good. I guess the best and best. You know, because a lot of times in our life, we struggle not necessarily between the bad and the good. We struggle between the better and the best. That's where our struggle really is. A lot of times. I mean, we, we suffer from bad choices, which are not consciously sinful choices, but they end up being... Bad. <laughs> yeah. They take time away from what you should be doing for the Lord. But even because of the curse, we may make good choices, but still doesn't turn out well because of the curse. Yeah. You know, because of other people involved too. Yeah. You know, people decide. You know, think about um, our brothers and sisters right now. They decide they're going to serve Christ. They're going to worship Him, and they gather and they get shot, killed, martyred, arrested. They made the right choice, but because of the curse, because of sin, because of the enemy doesn't turn out the way we think it should. Look on page so 6. we really become almost like robots. No. But everything... We'll always make the best choice and there'll be no sin and nobody negatively impacting us. So we'll still have... But a f- if there's no... My mind just can't comprehend. No, it's it's beyond our minds. I think we'll still have lots of choices, but they'll all be good choices. Yes. We won't have that sin. Nature. You won't have sin figuring in. You won't have the curse figuring in, and you won't have other people and their sin impacting you. So remove all of that, and then you have these choices. Mine either, but we know it's going to happen. I mean, yeah. it's going to be great, but yeah. we just enjoy everything you do. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to be happy with what we got. We're not going to be wanting, I'm not going to be wanting what you got. I'm going to be happy with what I've got. Mm-hmm. Well, it goes back, Mr. Teresa, to the bottom of page 65 where it says, Life, last uh, full sentence on the page, Life on the present earth, or next to the last, Life on the present earth is an already and not yet paradox. Um, 
we know we already have so many blessings already in Christ, but so many that we have not yet experienced them all, literally, uh, because we know that it's coming. There's a uniting of heaven and earth, and we're on day three, and I told you we're trying to get through the five days. Let's keep going. What does the restored earth mean, day four? Some people think that when it says the Bible talks about that it's going to be destroyed, that it'll be totally destroyed. Does the Bible teach, in your understanding, a total destruction where there's no earth or a temporary destruction where there is resurrection and restoration? What do you think the Bible teaches? It's a temporary. And they go into great detail about that in this passage. Just like the, um, the flood brought about destruction, total destruction in a sense, on the surface of the earth, the earth was still here. And when Noah and his family... The ark was open. They stepped into a new world. Um, there's coming a day, we believe, by fire. It will be cleansed, restored, and we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and that's hard to get your arms around. I, I have a hard time getting my mind around a perfect earth because we don't know anything like that. Um, how would you respond, 71, how would you respond to the person who dismisses a future on the new earth with the claim that the earth will be destroyed? Somebody says, no, 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 you're wrong. Uh, it, the earth is going to be destroyed. There's no new earth. How would you respond to that person? Well, like what he said in that next paragraph. Okay. The earth's death will be no more found than our own. The destruction of the old earth and God's purifying judgment will immediately be followed by its resurrection and new life. Earth's fiery end will open straight into a glorious new beginning. That's good, absolutely. I also put in mind that if you don't believe in a new earth, then what do you do with the Bible verses that talk about the new earth? Yeah, if you, if, if, what do you do with that? You have to spiritualize them, or you'd say, well, that's not really what it means. It means this. It's a, it's a feeling. It's a whatever. Well, we're made new, and not, we're not going to be totally destroyed. Exactly. Exactly. That's just helping you think through um, if you were to talk to it. Day five. <laughs> Will the new earth feel like home? Really use your imagination. What do you look forward to doing? Top, bottom page 72. What do you feel like look forward to doing on the new earth that you've never gotten to do here now? See Jesus. Okay, walk in perfect protection and freedom. Mm-hmm. Alright? I put run as long as I want. Because <laughs> now I can't run as long as I want. I run a little bit, and then it's anyway. Going to run. My feet shall not grow weary. Shall walk and not faint. He brought up something, and I, and I kind of pondered this because you know I preached what he's talking about here about this world is not our home. We're just a pilgrim passing through. We could kind of get into matter of this. This is semantics, and it's a way you're looking at it. But I thought he brought out some valid points. If I were to say to you tonight, this, this world is not our home, and we're just a pilgrim passing through, what do you understand that to mean? This old world. Yeah, you have to say, yeah. We didn't make the distinction, and then we'd make the distinction. This current, present world, earth, is not our home in that sense. We are pilgrims passing through because we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, right? But he, he brought out some interesting things here about the idea of people who maybe are not looking forward to this because they're afraid they're going to miss out on all the stuff they like now. Did y'all catch that on page like 74? And so what do we do with that? I mean, is it okay um, that we enjoy, you know, nature and creation and he talks about uh, art and culture and science and sports and education and watching a ball game and playing golf and riding bikes and working in the garden and curling up with a good book. you know. And people think, well, I like that, but then if I go and I'm going to be a disembodied spirit floating on a cloud somewhere, strumming a harp, which I don't know how you strum a harp if you're a disembodied spirit. I don't know how you do that, but anyway. <laughs> we begin to see why it's important for us to know what the Bible says. So then we begin to have a longing for heaven 
Because really, we've already learned what. Heaven is not just up there somewhere. Heaven will be here. Heaven and earth joined together just as Jesus joined heaven and earth, right? Perfect God, perfect man joining the flesh forever. So now we're going to have a joining of heaven and earth forever. The new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Okay. And so... 73, he said it will be restored and perfected first. Yeah. And so I guess the idea that we, we're getting from this, if Randy's correct in what he's saying, if we're understanding the scripture correct, is it's going to be new, but it's going to be familiar. New, but familiar. Now, I don't know if you're going to still live <laughs> same road, right? And we know we're not because it's all going to be made over. We have New Jerusalem. But the idea is it's going to be new but familiar but better than we can ever imagine. What if we liked cold climate? Would we have a choice to move in there? Sleeping in the desert? It's not going to be anything. You know, there'll be no thermostats in heaven, I'm convinced. As, as a pastor, <laughs> no thermostats in heaven, right? I think we'll see you think we'll have seasons? And you say sports. Well, who do you root for, though, if you have sports? Yeah. Everybody wins! <laughs> I'm not one for dumbing. Even for little kids, you got to learn to win and lose. You know, Everybody didn't get a trophy. But anyway, uh, maybe I'm just harsh. Maybe I need to go to the new heaven, new earth. Real quickly, we're out of time. Are you excited... Are you more excited tonight, with, with, you know, three or four weeks in, about heaven than you were when we started? I am. I'm more excited about it. More confused, but you got some answers, and you got, and maybe you, you would you say you know more about it now than you did four weeks ago? But you got more questions than you did four weeks ago, maybe because you never thought about this, because you thought heaven's just up there and we're with Jesus, and that's good. But now we're starting to say, well, what about the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem? What about the thermostat in the new Jerusalem? What about this? What about that? Well, here's the thing. When we see Jesus, will it really matter? I think it will just be captivated with it because he's going to be there and we're going to be there and it'll be glorious. And we'll, we'll, we'll get the grace we need to deal with all that and we'll understand it all better by and by. We'll all be vegetarians. What about sharks? I'm not even going to go there. Sharks meet seaweed. I asked him that. <laughs> that. That doesn't sound like heaven, does it, Wayne? That doesn't sound like heaven, does it? Will there be steak in heaven? Will there be barbecue? I mean, we're good North Carolinians, aren't we? Will it be Eastern style, Western North Carolina? Anyway, we got to pray and get out of here. The Bible talks about eating fruit, but it don't talk about eating Well, we can always hope. <laughs> Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. And Lord, as we continue to explore this. We're just more and more amazed, and we know that you are gracious and good, and everything you're preparing is good. Lord, help us with our finite minds, and as we struggle with this, to understand better. Lord, we know that um, it's more than we can ever imagine or think or fathom. Lord, help us to glimpse a little bit more, and then a little bit more. Bless us in these coming weeks as we tackle more of this topic. Help us to dig deeply in the Scripture. Holy Spirit, you teach us, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.